Com kids, Com 56, and junior high are going to go have game day today. So y'all have fun. You're dismissed if you're in one of those categories. If game day is really tempting to any of you adults, just resist. Stay here. See you guys. So it's just us today. Feel free to move forward if you want to. You've got plenty of room to stretch out. Um, parents, this is a nice break, maybe. Uh, don't go to sleep, please. Um, we are talking about sex. Figured I'd just get that out of the way, like real big and... Uh, Start with that. Um, in Sermonology 101, um, this is the time where I'm supposed to try to connect with you and tell a funny story kind of related to the topic. And somehow it just didn't seem right today. So skipping that one. I will tell you a story though. Um, I take Sarah Kate down to uh, dance on Monday in Houston. And uh, she's part of a dance program down there. And so spend a, uh, a long time uh, afternoon into the evening down there. And I'm, I don't have anything to do. Uh, I can't watch her. So uh, there happens to be a uh, Luby's down the street. And so I uh, go to the Luby's and get dinner and uh, hang out there. They have Wi-Fi and get some work done. Um, so... Uh, that is an admission uh, or confession. Uh, I know I'm old, um, but um, wasn't prepared for this one last week when I uh, got my bill and got back to and, and looked at it and noticed that I'd gotten a senior discount at Luby's. How cool is that? I mean, not really, but it was... It was kind of like one of those rite of passages. I don't know. I mean, I didn't like ask for it, and I'm not technically qualified for it. I know, I know I'm old, but I thought like in Luby's, I'm like a millennial or something, right? Uh, so I shouldn't get the senior discount, but I'm all about discounts, so I didn't, I took it and ran with it. Uh, it wasn't that much anyway. Not that much to look forward to. Okay, um, so, uh, but I am old. Uh, I've been around since the 60s. The uh, born right in the middle of the sexual revolution. So see, this does relate somehow. Um, so in my lifetime, now I haven't like seen the difference as much as like my mom, who's lived since the kind of the original sexual revolution of the 20s. Uh, that's when she was born. That she's seen like drastic changes. But I've seen some pretty drastic changes. Um, they were starting when I was a baby. But uh, they continue to this day. Uh, you guys have seen a lot of these and know what I'm talking about. Um, this, uh, I'm going to give you a, a ser couple of sermons to, to look at in a little bit. And this one comes from uh, one of John Mark Comer's where he observes, I think it was him, it was either him or Tyson, that uh, just in this generation or, or my generation uh, in the past 50 years or so, Sex has been just completely redefined in so many ways. Uh, sex has become disconnected 
from childbearing. The pill has been introduced, and uh, that has changed as a part of uh, how we view sex and what we do uh, with procreation versus uh, just uh, enjoyment of sex. Uh, It's been disconnected from just having babies. Not that it was ever only connected to that, but in a more formal and direct way, we have access to to that separation uh, in the past 50 years in the way that we haven't really before. Uh, We've also seen sex become disconnected from marriage. Like it uh, hasn't been that long ago where uh, that it would have been seen as crazy to have sex outside of marriage or uh, to be divorced and remarried. Uh, I'm talking about, especially within the church, that um, it's been a, a, just a whole new area of freedom that it doesn't have to be about being married. It's just having sex. I mean, what, what, what's the harm in that? Uh, so uh, it's about relationship. But even that has taken a, a pretty big hit over the past several years. Uh, as sex has been disconnected from even the male-female relationship. We've seen that uh, become more, much more of a thing uh, and an accepted uh, reality uh, in our midst. Uh, he breaks all these down, and I'm, again, I'm going to encourage you to listen to that sermon and uh, give you that website in just a second. But uh, fifth thing he says is that, or fourth thing is that sex has been disconnected from love and relationships. We don't even look at sex anymore uh, as having to be between two people in love, regardless of whether you're married or not. It's, I mean, that was kind of a thing to hang on, but, uh, but that's even been dropped. It's just a hookup, you know, culture. And so you don't even have to have a relationship, really. I mean, just for a little while. Uh, and you can find apps for uh, making that possible now. So uh, our, our culture has encouraged that in a new way. And then finally, and I'm going to leave this one as just kind of a, hey, what do we do with that? Um, And I need to listen to that sermon. Uh, Sex has been disconnected from people even. So a very new development in our society uh, and probably going to hit within uh, these guys' uh, lifetime very soon uh, is the whole realm of virtual sex and how that's creating just new uh, markets uh, economically, uh, as well as new temptations, and uh, further driving us away from relationship. So uh, we'll hear hear more about that from John Mark, because we don't need to go into all that today. So today what we're going to do is uh, I want us to examine what the Bible says about sex very few of you noticed, or, or if you did, you didn't say anything, but that we completely skipped this passage of Scripture uh, and moved on. And I don't know what, whether you just were like hoping we wouldn't get back to it. I'm not going to say anything to Scott. Let's just move on. Or if uh, you just didn't notice, but a few of you did. But uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, I got to that, and I was like, oh, no. The, the kids are in worship now. And they'll, they'll be in there for the sermon. And I don't know exactly how I'm going to preach that sermon with the kids in. And so 
uh, I know I knew I needed some lead time for the, the children's uh, ministry team to, to kind of plan something else. So we pushed it back and got pushed back a couple of times. But anyway, here we are. We're going back to that passage. Uh, hopefully it won't be too out of place and you'll remember kind of what went before and what, what came after uh, that will even help inform some of what we're doing. But we're going to go back and look at some of what the Bible says about sex. But I, again, I'm, I'm going to give you some homework uh, that will be more along those lines. The thing I really want us to do is to listen today to the Holy Spirit in this, and, and as you listen to, to those other sermons too, um, regarding what changes we might need to make, both personally and, and corporately as a church. So I don't want to bring you a bunch of stuff. Uh, I want us to really listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'll try to prompt some of that, but um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Third thing I want us to do is, is discuss, and this is where I really want us to camp out. We're going to talk today. So start to set your gauges or reset your gauge. We're smaller. We should be able to do this, right? Um, we're going to talk with one another out loud. You don't have to have a microphone just from where you're seated, and try to dream and think a little bit about how we might be able to be different from the world in light of what Paul is, is saying to us. How we might, uh, as individuals for sure, but uh, really as a group, how we could come together and do some things that might send a message to the world uh, of, of the gospel truth regarding this issue. So, We'll talk more in a second, um, but that's where we're going to spend about half of our time today. And then finally, I want us to, to, um, to end with kind of recommitting to follow Jesus in this area. And we'll do that as we take communion together. Okay, so here's your homework right off the bat, if you want to take a picture of it. These are uh, two um, teachings from some people that uh, a lot of us really like. Um, John Tyson, Brandon referenced him last week, and John Mark Comer, Josh referenced him a couple of weeks ago. Um, so those are the websites that will take you to the teachings. The first one is a YouTube, so it's a video. If you want to listen to this on podcast, you can search and, and find it. So please take a picture of that if you haven't already, or write it down uh, enough to Google and find it, because I really do want you to listen to this stuff. Uh, if you only have time for one, they're both about uh, 50 minutes to an hour, I believe. And, uh, and I would suggest the first one if, if you're going to just pick one. Okay. Sorry, Josh. I know you would probably suggest this. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into uh, verse 3 of chapter 5. If you've got a copy of the scripture, read along. There's some on the back table if you need those. Paul says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Sexual immorality, the Greek word for that phrase that we have is the, the Greek word porneia. So you obviously can see where we get our word pornography from. Okay, but that's not all it is. But it, it is, this is an overarching term that encompasses all sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is anything outside of God's design for sex, which we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about marriage and what God's design for that was. So, 
uh, it's that context that we're talking about sexual morality. The, the, the idea of porneia, um, any sexual sin, any sexual sin. So it's a big umbrella. Uh, and Paul says that that stuff must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Uh, another version says there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. So think about that for a second. Paul is assuming that uh, this divide between how Christians, how the, the young church is behaving and how the world is behaving is completely different. And that uh, there would not be this problem in the church. This is not, he's not writing to the Corinthian church here. You want to go back and read Corinthians, he's addressing a specific issue. But right here, he's talking in general terms, remember? And he's not addressing it. So there doesn't appear that the, the church in Ephesus, to Paul's knowledge, or, or, or he did not feel that it was uh, needed to, to be able to, to have to address this issue. So he's assume, we, we can assume that Paul is assuming that this doesn't exist. But he's saying for it not, I mean, that's, that's the right way for it to go. That there should not even be a hint of sexual morality. And then he's going to go on to kind of explain why. Um, the reality of the church today is not that, though. So if Paul were writing this letter today, he would have some very pointed things to say to us, right? We would be much more like the Corinthian church. And I encourage you to go and read Corinthians uh, for some of those specific things that he addresses there. But um, we are uh, inundated with sexual immorality in and out of the church. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, the, the differences, in fact, are not that great. Uh, among believers today in our culture as they are um, any, any different from the world. It's also very true and um, true for us, I'm sure, that most of us have been probably wounded in some way by sexual sin. Most of us in this room, some way, in the course of our lifetime, have been wounded by sexual sin. Um, maybe you haven't connected the dots on that, um, but it has affected us in many ways. And there's probably a lot of us, uh, myself included, who have wounded other people in that area, in, in the room. So I know that this is a big deal. I know that this is important for us. I know that this is something that Paul would want us to take seriously as we look at and to, uh, to really think about what uh, God's vision for us is in this area. I know the kids are out. I'm not going to, just to kind of um, ease some of the, the tension with, with this, maybe for myself only, I don't know. Um, I'm not, this isn't an R-rated sermon. We're not going to talk, uh, Paul even talks about like um, that it's shame, shameful to even talk about some of this stuff. He chooses not to get super specific with this sin. And I don't intend to, to do that today, but I do want us to talk freely uh, when we discuss in, in just a little bit, uh, however we feel led to do that. Um, 
The previous passage to this, if you remember, focused on things that we should be doing in the Lord. In Christ, we should be doing, we should be about these things. Uh, this passage is going to focus much more on what we should avoid. And it's actually one of the longest passages that we'll find in the New Testament uh, regarding how we're supposed to be separate from the world. And so it's got some really good stuff to say to us about what that means. I want to be clear, this is not a comprehensive treatment of sexual sin. Again, go back to the sermons that I referenced, uh, and please listen to those. They will do a much better job of that, uh, but it's not my intent today to do that. But it is my intent to make sure that we understand that sexual sin is one of, if not the most likely of all sins, to throw us off course from truly following Jesus in our culture today. Um, it, it is something that we must pay attention to. Uh, because in it, our selfish desires, our thirst for something more, our longing for pleasure are all highly concentrated in this area of sin, and they're magnified. Those things are magnified. So uh, they, they bring, it, it, it taps into other areas of weakness in us, other areas of our flesh, and finds its uh, outlet in sexual sin. The Greek and Roman culture, uh, the attitude that they had towards sex, that we're going to, uh, as we kind of try to dive into that with Paul here, uh, is very similar to the attitude that our culture has towards sex today. So we have a lot to learn from Paul's writing in this. We don't have to like break down a, a lot of differences, only to realize that it was pretty bad back then. In fact, um, as bad as it was, I'm not sure that what we deal with is not worse in, in many ways. Um, sexual morality in the Roman Empire was extremely permissive. There was a lot that was... Uh, allowed to go on. Uh, it was based on social status, uh, that, that permissiveness a lot, uh, whether you were a male or whether you were a male uh, in some position of power, for sure. So there are differences, and we'll talk about those in just a second. Uh, and it was, um, there, were, there were many options available uh, for you to fulfill your sexual desires. It wasn't like, oh, this is the old day, so they didn't have the internet, so, you know, that poor them, you know, like they didn't have a lot of options or something. It wasn't that at all. I mean, they had plenty of options. Uh, if you were a man, uh, you probably had a wife, and so you had that option uh, sexually. And w women uh, were uh, expected to be virgins uh, and, and marry. And so uh, they actually got married uh, earlier, uh, younger than men did. If uh, they didn't have a husband, they had to wait uh, and hope that they would eventually, uh, or they might end up uh, in prostitution, which is a pretty common trade back then, or uh, another outlet, another opportunity for uh, sexual uh, sin to take place uh, or sexuality to, to be expressed uh, by a woman would have to just be in secret. It, it would because it wasn't culturally acceptable for a woman, a married woman, to, uh, to, to do that. Um, but for men, it was, as long as you weren't having sex with somebody else's uh, wife, so if, as long as it was another non-married woman, it was okay. There was, no, I mean, nobody cared. I mean, that was just the normal thing to do. Um, 
beyond that, uh, it was also accepted and practiced uh, if you were a man of high status uh, that you could have sex with other men as long as they weren't uh, of the same status, like lesser uh, on the social strata. And slaves were available to you, uh, male and female. Much of that realm was basically seen uh, comparable to what we would um, think of, uh, the, the, the best way of like thinking about it in, in today's terms, uh, as far as how slaves were treated, was basically uh, the substitute uh, for masturbation. I mean, that's, that's how slaves were, were treated uh, in the correlation to our culture. And then finally, and unfortunately, very unfortunately, uh, the common practice of men having sex with boys. Uh, so that all was available in the Greco-Roman culture to men. Uh, and it's the environment that Paul is speaking to uh, when he talks about not even a hint of sexual immorality. Now, when he says that, he is including all that stuff that was accepted by their culture. And so he's not taking his cues from culture. He's turning things uh, around and saying, this is, this is the way we're going to operate. This is what's fitting for the saints. Look at uh, how he dressed in the parallel passage in Colossians. Um, well, this didn't work. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming in these. You too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Colossians mirrors Ephesians in many ways. And then uh, in Thessalonians, he wrote this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your becoming more like Jesus every day, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying we're not going to operate that way. We have a different ethic that we're going to adhere to. We too easily today in the church take on the prevailing attitudes of our culture. Paul has warned us that sexual sin is just not compatible with a new life in Christ. We know that. What do we do or, or what we do with our bodies truly matters to God. Our, our bodies are, are not just ours to do what, they want, what we want to with them. Because they don't belong to us anymore. We belong to him. God designed sex for marriage. He designed it to bring two physically different people together into a kind of unity meant to reflect his very image. We talked about that when we talked about marriage. That's what's at stake in this for God. This is his design. He didn't have to do it this way. This is how he chose to do it. And he gave us this gift of sex but he said, here's the way it's supposed to operate. Um, and it's not like the culture. Going back to verse 4 here. I can go backwards. There we go. Um, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, 
which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He throws in a few other things here. Covetousness, which is greed, the desire for more. As it relates to this uh, subject, there's certainly that in play. Lust, greed, uh, we want more. The Jewish understanding of greed was that it was behind all sin. That it's, it, what, it's what drove all sin. We, we want more. It's never enough for us. Uh, God didn't give us enough. So we think we know better and we're going to take it. We're going to go out and find it. And that can be certainly applied to sexual immorality. Foolish talk. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about Thanksgiving lately. Uh, that's what he says in this passage, that instead, let there be Thanksgiving. That's what we're, what's supposed to be on our lips. That's what's supposed to be coming out of our mouth. Not coarse joking. Not... Uh, foolish talk. And that in the realm of sexual immorality and impurity is very important uh, as it relates to the things that we say and do, but also the things that we entertain ourselves with. And we need to, to, to be careful about that. Pas this passage assumes, like I said, a, a, a contrast between Jesus' followers and the rest of society, that we aren't act acting this way. But he throws in something that I don't think we pay enough attention to. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That uh, if this is your life uh, and you're not in Christ, this is, this is what uh, you should expect. There is no inheritance for you. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So that is the group that we associate with, in other words, when we choose sexual immorality. When we sin in this area, we're putting ourselves in the same group of people, not ultimately because Jesus' work is not going to be thwarted. I'm not saying that... Uh, when you commit a sin of sexual immorality in Christ, that you are uh, damned to hell because of that, uh, you are apart from the work of Christ. But the work of Christ has accomplished its purpose in you. The greater thing that we should be asking ourselves is not, uh, is, is this meant for me or is this just for nonbelievers? But, but why would I engage in any activity that? is in that realm. That's not who I am. That's not what, what I was created to be. Because that's the destiny of the people who have no other hope that are just slaves to this sin. And it's not our destiny. We've got to take this more seriously. Paul is not trying to, this is not a hellfire and brimstone thing. He's not trying to scare people in. He's just being real. He's just being honest. Like this is the way it is. Uh, this is what uh, is, is going to happen. Okay, let's move to uh, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, and I put this in bold, it's not that different, but verse 8 is really a summary of Ephesians. And it's really a summary of Paul's theology uh, overall. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It doesn't say that you lived in darkness 
It doesn't say that you were affected by darkness. It says you were darkness. We were, we were all darkness before Jesus. And it doesn't say that now you're uh, reflecting light. It doesn't say that you're in the light. It says you are light. You have taken on uh, the very nature of God in your salvation. I mean, this is a, it's a big passage of scripture uh, of importance as it relates to our conversion because of the implications of this. this is, these words are, are, Paul knows what he's saying. He's, he's not, not flippantly choosing these words. Uh, it's not just wishful thinking that you, uh, now that you're saved, you will hopefully be light. No, he's saying your conversion in Christ made you light. You took on the nature of God. The call is to be who God made us to be, who God says that we are, not how we feel or uh, what the world says about us um, or, or what our guilt and shame says about us. It's to be who God made us to be, and we are light. We're not trying to be light. We're already light. We talk a lot in Ephesians about being in Christ, and to be in Christ means we've taken on God's nature of light. So that's who we are. Verse 9 uh, is a summary also. It's a summary of some things that we've already talked about, of what that light looks like, of what being light looks like. Paul says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. All that is good and right and true. That's what we want to live into. We're now uh, people who do good works, according to chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, we do things to benefit others, chapter 4, verse 28 and 29. We speak the truth in love, chapter 4, verses 15 and 25. We understand truth in Jesus alone, in chapter 4, verse 20. We have been created in righteousness and holiness, in chapter 4, verse 24. And we are guided by what pleases the Lord, in chapter 5, verse 10, instead of what grieves the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 30. That's the expression of who we are and what the theology that Paul's trying to get into us so that we understand that, that our identity is that light, is that kind of fruit. And in verse 10, he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to figure this out. Discernment is so important in the church. It's the process that we're engaged in over and over again as we live this Christian life. What pleases the Lord in this situation or that situation? And that's why community is so important because we need one another to help us discern. Some of you have gifts of discernment that we need more access to and you need to exercise those more uh, in the body. Uh, the, the rest of us aren't exempt from being able to discern God's will. It's all throughout Scripture if we would just read more and engage more with what God has already called us to do. But in specific ways that we're trying to live this out, we can lean on one another uh, for prayer, for uh, words of encouragement uh, toward something or away from something. Uh, we have to keep doing that. We have to keep uh, using that to our advantage. It's how God set it up. It's what he wants for us. 
All right, verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Let's go ahead and read the rest, and we'll come back to that. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We are not to have any participation with the darkness. So that's uh, something we need to get settled up front. Um, But what does that mean? Uh, when, When God says to separate from that stuff, does he mean that we go live on a deserted island together and just, you know, have a little cult-like experience uh, and create this pure and holy world? Absolutely not. There's no evidence in Scripture that, that God ever wanted his people and uh, to, to do anything like that. In fact, there's much more that says you, you have to keep engaging with the world, uh, and that's what we're uh, called to do. But in that separation... There has to be distinction. So it's not just uh, that we are not going to completely physically separate, but how are we going to be distinct? How are we going to be different? And, um, and how are we going to confront? Because exposing means that we're going to have to confront the darkness. And what does that look like? Uh, we've got to learn to function in this society without sacrificing to its gods. When... These guys heard this, a lot of them, uh, we talked a little bit about this, where uh, they made the little idols, the little trinkets, uh, and, and sold those uh, for, for worship. That was something that people had jobs doing. You can't do that anymore uh, as, a, as a believer. So, like, a lot of people's livelihood has been shattered. Uh, they, were, they were required to be uh, members in guilds that each guild like if it was a masonry guild or, or something, that they had their own gods and goddesses that had to be uh, paid to, they paid dues to the guild. Uh, they were worshiping these, these uh, deities in order to have better success with their businesses. Uh, we've got to figure out how to live in a society that has gods, and make no mistake about it, this society has gods competing with our god, uh, that we can't be worshiping at, in any shape or form. Uh, so how are we going to do that? Uh, how are we going to expose, which also means to convince, and when people are convinced of something, of, of truth, they're transformed. And so that's the purpose of the light. So I don't need to do a lot of convincing to you because I know that you have the Holy Spirit in you, Uh, I could list specific sins. You have probably already thought of a few uh, in the the depth of your heart um, that you know that are temptations for you or things that you have been about, things that have affected you. Uh, So um, I trust that the Holy Spirit does what he needs to do with those. Uh, But I just want to say this. Uh, This is from a guy named... uh, Kevin DeYoung, who wrote a book called The Hole in Our Holiness. And he says, brothers and sisters, we must be more vigilant with our kids, with our families, with our social media, with our own eyes and hearts. I think I put some of this up here. Are we any different than the culture, he asked. Have we made a false peace with ourselves whereby we have said, we won't do the things you do or be as sensual as you are? but we will gladly watch you do them for us. 
Have we made that kind of peace with our culture? The kind of things Paul, he goes on to say, wouldn't even mention. The sort of sins he wouldn't dare joke about. The behaviors too shameful to even name. We hear about them in almost every sitcom and see them on screens bigger than our homes. Here's the worldliness as much as anywhere in the Christian life. Try turning off the television and staying away from the movies for a month and see what new things you see when you come back. I fear many of us have become numb to the poison we are drinking. When it comes to sexual immorality, sin looks normal. Righteousness looks very strange. And we look a lot like everybody else. How do we as Jesus followers, with a true biblical view of sexuality, justify laughing at and looking at some of the stuff that we do on TV shows and movies. Why are we okay with sexual immorality actually being a form of entertainment? Not even a hint. Not even named among us. How do we do it? I want to know. I mean, there's... I, I like to be entertained by movies and sitcoms. And there's not a whole lot of them that if I go to uh, that, that I'm, I'm not scared that I haven't read enough about before because it's just so prolific. And there's not a lot that I watch at home that I don't find myself having to fast forward. But why, I mean, should I even be doing that? Should we even be doing that? Or are we even doing that? Are we even asking those questions? Are we even doing the research that says, this is not okay? I don't, I mean, yeah, I've heard that it's funny. I've heard that it, it's entertaining. I've heard that it's real artful or whatever that we use to justify our ability to engage in it as entertainment. But I just got to believe it. And I, I'm old. I, I said it from the very beginning. I was part of the WWJD thing as a youth pastor. But, and I know we make fun of that stuff, but that's, that's real stuff. Like, how, how do we really, seriously, Jesus with us? I mean, do you think he's laughing? Even at a, that's what she said joke? I mean, really? I mean, those are funny to our flesh, right? They, they, they get in to our life in a way that it doesn't seem that harmful. But I just don't, I don't see it when I'm, when I'm really in the spirit. The truth is I'm not most of the time when I'm doing that stuff. I don't care. I just want to be entertained and there's not much else on. That's not a good excuse. And, and that's just like the, the acceptable stuff, right? I mean, I, I'm just picking on the, the low-hanging fruit here as far as like what, you know, we, we all do. But, uh, but there's so much worse that's out there that we have justified as well. Uh, and, and, and probably uh, going on right now that, that we're not telling anybody about. We found a way to, to justify it. Um, and we need to get real with one another. Uh, whether it's in the, the, the separate guy-girl comm groups that we're having um, or, or just with a, 
an individual brother or sister. Uh, we need to get real with one another. This stuff is not to be messed with. It is going to take us down. And it's certainly not going to allow us to function in the power of the Holy Spirit like we're intended to. Wow, I've talked too much. Um, Brandon and Josh have been bad examples. Gosh. Um, thank God for calm groups uh, where we can discuss this some more. Uh, let me leave you with this. It's a quote from Leslie Newbegin. Uh, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. Is our life provoking? Is the way that we live? What I wanted us to talk about and what I hope that you will take into your conversations with one another, uh, whether it's at home or um, in calm group uh, or just continued uh, in, in the church in some way, we'll, we'll probably... Uh, have some time to talk about this at our prayer meeting next Sunday at 345. But um, how do we follow Jesus in biblical community for the redemption of the world? Sexually. How do we do that? What's community church going to look like? Uh, what if it, it was a, uh, a creative minority in the world? Uh, what if we came up with some really Holy Spirit-inspired ways to do this differently? You know, we actually have. We were involved in Jesus Said Love. Uh, a lot of you may remember that. Um, that was something that was just inspired by some people in our church uh, that uh, then found out about this national organization that existed for it. But we had already begun plans just out of a, a desire to, to follow the Lord. And we had a strip club in town and it, and we said, we're going to go and, and share love. And I remember going and staying in the parking lot and praying and uh, it felt weird. And I know that the ladies that went in there for the very first time and just were like, hey, we're just here to say that we love you in Jesus name kind of thing. I know that it felt weird to them because they told me it did. Uh, but uh, that, I mean, that, that kind of stuff is like, we got we to gotta think, we got to be creative. We got to imagine what we could be. Uh, it doesn't, we don't have to be a megachurch well-resourced to do this kind of stuff. It's, it's small things that uh, have a lot of power in when the Lord's behind it. Um, what can we do? What can we do? How can we be light? How can we be separate and confront? Distinct without being holier than thou. That's not, we don't want to be that. Uh, not participate, but not overreact and not be prudish, and not come across as judgmental. How do we avoid being destructive in our effort to minister, to love in the name of Jesus in this area? It's a sensitive area. Ephesians 4.2 has already commanded us to be humble, gentle, patient, and loving. That's our answer. I mean, that's the guiding principles behind how we do this, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, and to be loving. And light if light is going to be in the darkness, this kind of light that we're bringing should produce, should reveal grace. It should reveal truth. should be transformative. First Peter 2, and I'll close with this, says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of salvation. What if we could confront the lie of our culture that the truth of the gospel, of our gospel, is that life is defined by something much greater than sex? What if we confronted and exposed in a new way? Can we commit to to be that kind of people? I don't know what it is, and I'm not expecting you to know what it is. And maybe maybe sharing about it today was not what uh, the Lord wanted to happen anyway, because we need some time to to sit with this. But I I believe that there has to be something out there that, that we could be more distinct in in this world, more of, of light in this world, and, uh, and, and call this culture to something better than what it's settled for. It begins with us because we've settled for it too. So as you take communion today, servers, you can go ahead and come. Um, let this be your encounter with Jesus that says, yeah, you paid the price for me. Um, you made me not darkness anymore. You made me light. How, how should I then live as light in this wicked and depraved generation. What are we going to do about that? This cannot just be 35, 45, however long I talk, minutes of another sermon. This matters to God. And it matters in this congregation. And now is the time for us to get things right and move in the right direction, both personally and corporately. Come on up, guys. Let's pray. Jesus, there's so much in this, and uh, I feel so uh, without words to express your heart. And so I just trust, Holy Spirit, that you have done that however you needed to today. Help me, help us to, um, to be different, to be distinct, to be the light that you have made us to be. Praise God for that. So as we come to you right now in this moment, we receive your gift of grace. And we ask that you help us to understand how it has transformed our lives and how it can be transformative to the world around us. In Jesus' name.